Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sampson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Well, if you couldn't tell from the brand new intro, it is a brand new season. Season 18 of The Pipeline Show. My name is Gee Flaming. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Really appreciate you taking the time to download uh, this week's episode. If you're a newcomer to the show, then please let me know how you came across The Pipeline Show, how long you've been listening, and why you uh, decided to download this week's uh, episode Whatever the reason, I appreciate that you did. If you're a returning listener, then obviously welcome back. And thank you to everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash show. A couple of bucks a month is all it costs, and you get early access to all the individual segments, all the individual uh, interviews that you hear on a full episode. Those are always released uh, before a full episode comes out, but exclusive to patrons. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It is Alberta's best beef jerky. Now with three locations in the Edmonton area where you can pick up your beef jerky, as well as some other products. But you can go to Spruce Grove or Leduc, and now the third location is the uh, kiosk. Not that far from the Ice Palace in West Edmonton Mall, right by entrance 44. You can't miss it. It's on the ground level. And like I said, not that far from the Ice Palace in West Edmonton Mall. And if you're in Western Canada, well, you don't have to make the drive into Edmonton. You can have it shipped to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, contact Trent at the location in Leduc. That's the original location. Well, what we're going to do this week is play a little catch-up, as uh, there's been some big news over the last uh, few weeks since the end of Season 17 at the end of July. We'll touch on a couple of those news items here in this opening segment, but then I got guests coming up uh, today that will cover them in greater detail. So let's get right to it. And of course, I guess the the most recent news would be the World Junior Championship. Canada capturing gold after a overtime victory over Finland. Pretty dramatic uh, ending to that uh, contest with uh, Mason McTavish knocking a puck out of midair that looked like it was going to give Finland a, a uh, gold medal. He knocks it out of midair, lands on the goal line. He's able to keep the puck out of the net, and then uh, eventually Kent Johnson. With the overtime golden goal for Canada, a couple of the big stories along the way, the United States missing the podium, getting uh, knocked out of the tournament uh, by the Czech Republic, or excuse me, Czechia. That was uh, probably the big upset, I would suggest, in the tournament. 
And attendance, obviously, was a big subject as well as uh, really outside of the Canadian games and even the early Canadian games, very not well attended. And speculation from around the hockey world about why that was the case. I had tweeted at the start of the tournament, you know, a couple of days in, it was the main story. It was ever like, why is nobody coming to these games? And I had tweeted out a list of reasons why that would be the case, uh, including, I think there's uh, fatigue in the market. Uh, the World Junior, that was the third time they tried to pull off this event. Remember back the first time was in 2021. No fans. They had to refund all the tickets. So uh, a lot of people had uh, shelled out money already and weren't able to go. So probably disappointed about that. And then in 2022 at Christmas time, they started and then had to uh, suspend the tournament, basically cancel it and had to refund all those tickets. So to do it a third time might have been asking a little much. Plus it's August in Edmonton, which uh, as uh, locals here know, August is a beautiful month if you're uh, an outdoors person. You like to get out and enjoy the mountains. It's uh, obviously right before school returns for all the families who have children. Last thing a lot of people are thinking in these, this part of the world is to go to a hockey rink and sit in, indoors. That's why we like winter here is because you can go indoors and watch hockey then. But to give up uh, some, uh, you know, a couple of weeks of your summer right before school gets back going again, uh, that's a tough ask, I think, for a lot of families. And then, of course, there's the uh, massive scandal here for Hockey Canada, and uh, they're taking a public beating uh, in this country from basically from non-hockey fans. But a lot of hockey fans are uh, upset at them as well, and uh, rightly so. So I think there are a number of reasons why people weren't flocking to buy tickets when it's in. Halifax and Moncton again at Christmas time, I'm sure they won't have any problems. It's not going to be any of the first few problems that I talked about. If anybody is uh, deciding to boycott because of the scandal, I, I can understand that. But that would be about the only reason I would think people wouldn't go when it's in Halifax and Moncton at Christmas time. Everything else will be back to normal, and I'm sure there will still be a lineup of people who are trying to get to those games. So I think it'll be a success there. Uh, I just think here... There's probably, there's lots of reasons why it uh, wasn't a big draw for ticket-buying fan base. Of course, and the tickets were ridiculous. I think a single ticket, the cheapest you could get into the uh, game for, if you want to watch Austria and Switzerland play, still 50 bucks. 50 bucks. And if Canada's playing, it was double that. Uh, so personally, I thought prices were crazy. I, I think personally what they should have done is made it e either free or really cheap, like 5 bucks, 10 bucks, and make your money off concessions. But I say that about uh, the Oil Kings as well. Not that the Oil Kings, I don't find, are overpriced at all, 20 25 bucks. Uh, I don't think that's asking too much for top-caliber uh, junior hockey. But when the building is that size, I think get the people in the building and make your money off concessions. But maybe that's not a sound business model. I don't know. But anyway, so that was the World Junior Championship. And right before that, it was the Ivan Holinka, the Holinka Gretzky Cup in uh, Red Deer which uh, Canada also won. So pretty good month here for uh, for Canada. And I did not get down to uh, the Holinka Gretzky Cup at all uh, as I was on vacation. And then I actually didn't get to the World Junior here in Edmonton either. And that wasn't necessarily by choice, uh, but I got, got COVID while, uh, <laughs> while on the uh, two-week break here, or two, I guess three-week break between season 17 and 18, uh, I came down, I got sick. And I didn't want to be the guy, I, well, so I missed the first week of the World Junior basically. Uh, because of that, and I didn't want to be the guy who shows up at the end, and I'm still coughing. I think you'll hear it in my voice throughout this episode. 
I didn't want to be that guy who uh, shows up and, you know, kind of has everybody else like, don't sit next to me or, you know, whatever. So uh, I didn't go to the World Junior myself this year, which which sucked because it's not here very often and I don't expect it's going to be in Edmonton again for a very long time. What else is going on? Well, in uh, the NCAA, Mel Pearson is out at Michigan after another scandal there. Toxic environment and uh, a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. I do have a guest that's coming up to talk more in depth about that. But uh, you just you go from Red Berenson, who was such a legend. What was he there for? Four decades? Something like that. But just a well-respected, remarkable head coach who secured his place in history being behind the bench of the Michigan Wolverines. And within five years, Mel Pearson takes over, and five years later, it, his tenure ends in scandal. Uh, really unfortunate. You know, and I it's not like I know Mel Pearson. He's been on the show once or twice and enjoyed the conversations. And, you know, he's a Canadian as well, so we, there's that connection. But everybody that I know who does know him, I think was a little surprised by everything that's come out here. And, um, you know, he's a really good coach and respected in that regard. But uh, what's happened here, I think, is going to tarnish his record, which is unfortunate. So I do have a guest who's going to uh, come on the show and talk more about uh, what's happened here with Michigan. So we'll leave it at that. The outgoing commissioner of Atlantic Hockey has made a recommendation to 10 schools suggesting that they form their own Division I conference. Uh, his name is Bob DiGregorio. Easy for me to say. But look, I'm just looking at the uh, story here. It's at USCHO as well as College Hockey News. Some of these schools I have never heard of before. But most, just like Long Island University and Lindenwood, they're both listed among these 10, as well as Stonehill, which is uh, joining Division One to some degree this year. Those three programs are in place, but if you'd asked me two years ago, I'd never heard of any of them. Now we've got St. Anselm, Southern New Hampshire, Franklin Pierce, I have no idea where that is, or St. Michael's, never heard of it. Assumption, never heard of that. Post, I don't know where any of those schools are located. And then the last one listed is Utica. Okay, well, we know where Utica, New York is. But DiGregorio's proposal is that those 10 schools should all form their own conference. So we'll see that. I mean, that is a big increase in Division I uh, programs at the collegiate hockey level in a very, very short period of time. I'm all for expansion, but is, can you grow too big too fast? Not sure. But Lindenwood is uh, Division One this year. Stonehill will, as far as I know, will play part of their schedule as a Division One team. We've got Anchorage, Alaska returning. Robert Morris is not back this year, but will be the season after. Augustana in uh, South Dakota will be a Division One, not this season, but next year. So lots of uh, new programs, which to me is exciting. And last thing to mention is uh, the retirement of a good friend of the Pipeline show. That would be Bob Ridley, the five-decade-long voice of the Medicine Hat Tigers. 52 years behind the microphone down in Medicine Hat has uh, decided to hang him up. He didn't uh, do it last year. For health reasons, and his son, uh, his son Bob, Bob Jr., is uh, my dentist. He's a team dentist for the Edmonton Oil Kings, and I just met with him a couple of weeks ago. He was uh, doing some work, actually not even that long ago, and I asked him about uh, how his dad was doing and uh, if he was going to be back. And at that time, it sounded like he potentially was, and maybe Bob Jr. was uh, didn't want to spill the beans or anything. I don't know if he knew for sure or not. But so when the news came out. That he was hanging up, I, I was a little bit surprised. But maybe we shouldn't be. I mean, 52 years behind the microphone, that is a, a distinguished career. And a Bob Ridley, one of the all-time greats, for sure, should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. 
All guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. You can go to troubledmonk.com slash shop. You can place orders online and uh, pick them up either at the tap room in Red Deer or at the uh, Calgary Farmer's Market or at the Bountiful Farmer's Market here in Edmonton. Or just go to your local liquor store and if they don't have Troubled Monk in the cold beer fridge, uh, demand it because it's available to them. Any uh, liquor store in Alberta has access to Troubled Monk. They just got to get it. A new IPA that's available, have not tried it myself, but it's called the Cryo Baby IPA. Pretty cool looking can. Of course, summer is a perfect time for the original hard iced tea, the Troubled Tea. You can find all the beverages that are available. It's not just beer, but it's spirits, it's soda as well. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop. Now, I have four guests uh, lined up for this week's episode. Three of them I recorded with last week, and then we uh, I waited until the World Junior was over, and then I got the last guest to uh, wrap up the World Junior, and that's why the show usually it comes out on a Friday or a Saturday. This week it's coming out on a Tuesday, which is unusual, but that's uh, just the way it worked out this year because of the World Junior schedule. So the guest list looks like this. First, we're going to talk college hockey especially with a focus on uh, the Michigan Wolverine uh, story. Paula Weston from USCHO. She is the first guest of Season 18. Uh, from there, we'll go to a conversation with Derek Newmeyer, who's a scout with uh, FC Hockey, Future Considerations. And he's going to tell us all about uh, what he took away from the Ivan Holinka tournament. It was interesting because the World Junior is in the summer, and after the draft, there wasn't a, a, a lot of the high-caliber draft eligible players in the world junior championship this year uh that will change obviously uh, when uh, december rolls around again but to have it in the summer like that after the draft a little bit anticlimactic in terms of uh, the scouting community so the holinka gretzky cup obviously a much bigger draw for the scouts this year and that's why i got Derek newmeyer on to talk about that from there we'll go with a guy who is eligible for the 2023 nhl draft that's uh, matthew wood plays for the Victoria Grizzlies out of the BCHL, but has a decision to make if he's uh, going to play there again this year or if he's going to kick off his NCAA career. He would be uh, a, a very young, he might be the youngest player in college hockey if he goes. Uh, he'd be going to the University of Connecticut to play for the Huskies, but uh, he hasn't decided, at least not when I spoke with him uh, a few days ago. So we'll uh, talk to Matthew Wood. He's also a prospect of the Regina Pats, and you know they would certainly love to have him. Because Matthew Wood could be a first-round pick, much like Connor Bedard, although not the first overall pick like Bedard is expected to be for 2023. And we will close things out with uh, Andrew Peart. He's the voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings, but uh, for the last couple of weeks, he's been the voice of Team Canada on TSN Radio across the country. As uh, the game's right here in Edmonton, TSN asked him to uh, rock the mic and uh, cover those games. Jason Strudwick was uh, doing color for him. Uh, over the course of the tournament, and uh, Pierdo gives us a great recap of everything that happened at the World Junior Championship. So lots to get to. Let's kick it off. Paula Weston from USCHO talks Big Ten hockey with a focus on the Michigan Wolverine situation. All that begins Season 18 next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. He wants this hat trick, and he's just going right to the net. Scores! There it is! He wanted it! He got it! <laughs> Give him five points! Hey, it's Gabriel Valetti of the Windsor Spitfires, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show.
1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming as we kick off Season 18, and we begin with uh, a college hockey segment. All of those brought to you by our friends at College Hockey, Inc. If you have uh, a player in your family, or maybe you're the player, and you want to know what you can and can't do to maintain your eligibility, well, College Hockey, Inc. is a great resource for that. You can get in touch with uh, Mike Snee or any of the fine folks over there. Check out their website as well at collegehockeyinc.com. My first guest of Season 18 is a good friend of the Pipeline Shows, but she's been with us uh, a long time uh, over the years. Uh, from USCHO is uh, Paula Weston, who uh, specializes in the Big Ten. Uh, Paula, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? How was summer? I'm great. Thank you. And thank you for that. You know, I feel kind of honored and also a little pressure being the first guest. <laughs> <laughs> the headliner to start the new season. Well, I, Ooh, I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you making time in the off season like this. I appreciate it. But when, uh, you know, we come back from a couple of weeks off, I got to play catch up and some big stories in college hockey. And one of them right in your backyard in the Big Ten with uh, oh, yeah. everything that's unfolded here with the University of Michigan and the ousting of uh, Mel Pearson. First off, this seems like it's been kind of building for since the end of the season and maybe even longer than that. But for people who don't know all the details, what's happened and, and why has he uh, been replaced? Well, you know, it's been an ongoing thing. We found out earlier this year that there was a lawsuit against uh, Michigan. He was named in a lawsuit, right? Uh, um, about a hostile work environment. And, uh, and then there were accusations of his asking players to lie about um, COVID-19 tracing forms in uh, 2021 for the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And, that, and they were just like a whole, like a whole thing swirling around him. Right. And, and uh, part of the accusations were that he sort of turned a blind eye to a hostile workplace there at um, in the, in uh, the Michigan hockey office where hockey operations director Rick Bancroft was allegedly really hostile to the women in the workplace. And then another accusation is that he bullied players, right? That, that he bullied Strauss Mann, who was a goaltender right out of the program. He was a captain and, and, and Mann um, stood up to him. This is alleged, right? I mean, I don't know the details. Um, and, and this is all public. This is all open source stuff too, right? So, uh, and that Mann left and Mann hasn't really spoken on the record. And, and I think he might be part of, the lawsuit or he may uh, he may not be and then there's steve shields who was the goalie coach there who was let go who was sort of a whistleblower mm. um and and brought uh brought all of this the hostile workplace and the, and the alleged you know the, the alleged bullying and other things to uh, the athletic department and then he was let go after many years of of being the goaltender coach and um and you know there there are the accusations are are kind of stunning i mean it it for those of us who have known Mel Pearson for a long time, and I have known him for 27 years, it really is shocking. And we know that coaches are really competitive people, obviously. And we know that they will do things like bend rules, right, to 
or try to, you know, not not necessarily even in unethical ways, just to do what they can to get an edge over opponents. But but telling students to lie about their COVID-19 status ahead of an NCAA tournament in 2021 when everybody was being so careful mm-hmm. and coming back, you know, um, that to me is just is is something that the NCAA itself should deal with too, right? And then the 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 accusations of bullying and also of um, calling a student or two a Jew, uh, these are really strong things. And then that he he wasn't, yeah, no kidding. And that he wasn't himself part of um, sort of this culture that was toxic to women there, but that he turned a blind eye to it when he knew about it. Again, these are accusations, right? And these are these are public facing accusations that have been reported widely here. And so there's a, there's a, this whole it's like a whole mess, right? That, 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 that looks like some sort of toxic culture going on or had been going on, or at least sanctioned by, um, by Pearson. And, and, and there was a report that came out that the, the college, the university itself did um, to discover this when the lawsuit about the toxic workplace was filed. Um, and when the report came out, it came out, we we found out about it more recently, but apparently the university has had it in its hands since spring, and and his contract was up, and he's been he had been working without a contract for the entire time since his contract expired, I believe May first, and and whenever anybody asked Ward Manual and and the athletic department Ward Manual is the um, uh, the AD there, the athletic director there, you know, it, the, the answer was always, we expect Mel to be our coach in the fall. We expect Mel. So we were all left wondering. There was no official word. Nobody would talk about anything. And so everybody in the press and obviously fans were speculating too. It's like, well, are they just trying to negotiate, uh, you know, terms, right, to, to resign him? Or is there something else going on in light of the lawsuit? We all knew about the lawsuit. We didn't know about the report. And when the report came out, that's really when things hit the fan. Because there was a lot of pressure on the university to um, to get rid of him, because you know th- these are really damning accusations, right? And 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 then the athletic director Emmanuel didn't want to. He actually really wanted to resign Pearson for the fall. And finally, the board of trustees voted eight nothing to you know to alleviate him of his position, right? But it's just so overwhelming, the idea that. Um, that this that this could have gone on, and and this is all in the wake of something else that has happened recently. It's, it's Dr. Robert Anderson, who was um, a, a doctor for the athletic program, who uh, was accused of sexual misconduct and toward athletes, toward student athletes, and um, and they settled it. It was like a half a billion dollar settlement recently to settle this lawsuit against him from from the college, from the university, wow. and so. Yeah, I know. Half a billion dollars. And so you look at that and you look at, you know, Penn State and, and its legacy, right? Not to pick on Penn State, but, you know, the, the first thing we saw with the football program there. And then Michigan State more recently with um, um, the doctor there that was that was also abusing, you know, student athletes. And then you've got, you know, the Dr. Um, Anderson scandal. And apparently it's alleged that Bancroft, who was the director of hockey operations, who created that hostile environment for women in the workplace there at, at Michigan, it was alleged that he knew about the misconduct and didn't do anything about it, about this, you know, half million, half billion dollar lawsuit that was just settled. So you've got all of this and it's just, there's no way, regardless of, of any kernel of truth in any of this, 
there's no way that the university could have kept him on and retained any sort of credibility, right? And and to think too about what it's like for recruits, right? To yes. to come to a place, you know, and and think, you know, am I going to get bullied in the locker room? Is the coach going to bully me? And 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 we're not talking about toughness. We're talking about you know running a player out of the program. And so, you know, a player whose who's pro prospects were really slim at that point. He was a good, solid college player. And um, and running him out of the program like that was, you know, so, you know, that's going to give people pause, right? If, am I going to send my kid to Michigan if this is what's going to happen? So it's it's been a mess. And, for the, and the fact that it took as long as it did is is really, in my opinion, a black mark on, you know, not just the university, but it says a lot, I think, about, you know, NCAA sports culture here in the United States, about how people would rather look the other way as long as, you know, there's success in a program and donor money is coming in and things like that. It's just mm-hmm. it's just kind of horrifying. I'm really having a hard time coming to terms with it, again, because I've known Mel for 27 years. And if you had told me that he would do anything like what he's accused of, I would have said no. And I'm not alone. A lot of other reporters will say the same thing, you know, so... Pretty wild. She's Paula Weston from USCHO. Uh, we're getting a, a recap of everything that's unfolded here with the <laughs> Michigan Wolverines uh, over the last couple of months, I guess. Let's bring it back to hockey for a minute. And just as you said, I mean, Mel Pearson, is, as a coach, really well respected in college hockey yep. circles, in hockey yep. circles, period. He's been yep. doing it yep. and successfully. And just the turnaround, you know, you go from Red Berenson, who was just such yep. a legend, to now this scandalous uh, end here for Mel Pearson at, at Michigan. Couldn't be night and day difference, but as a as a coach and the hockey team, man, he did a really good job. Would they get to the the NCAA tournament four times and to two Frozen Fours uh, over the last five years? That's a pretty good, darn good record. Uh, but he's gone now. How big of a an impact is that going to have on the hockey program? I mean, th- he's also been an outstanding recruiter. I mean, the recruiting classes oh, for the Wolverines have been maybe the best over the last five years. Uh, compared to any program in the NCAA. So what happens now from a hockey perspective moving forward? That's a really great question. It, and, and it's and I wish I could answer in a really affirmative way, like it's going to be great or they can move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I can't because, you know, they've appointed Miranda Naruto, uh, Naruto, I think I'm pronouncing his his, um, his last name correctly, who's a, who was an assistant for one season last year as the interim head coach. And I don't know anything about him as a coach, um, he's somebody I covered as a player and who I respected when he was there, you know, he's a mature player and, and he's, um, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no hint of anything around him. Like, I don't think that he is tainted by any of this, but there were a lot of people that were calling for Michigan to hire somebody not at all connected, even as an interim with the program, right. To sort of, you know, to sort of get past any kind of superficial look because you know, I look at the you talk about the recruiting classes that Pearson has had, and, and you look at that the, the class they had a couple of years ago with 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 incoming freshmen and a guy that was already there. You know, with with four first rounders, five first rounders, right? Yeah. I mean, including the number one overall pick in the NHL, and they were really expected. Those guys came back for another season after COVID, right? Because last year they wanted to win the national championship and they did not, mm-hmm. right? And and I have been there's some some um, lingering issues right i mean it, it, it it's hard not to speculate i'm not trying to traffic and gossip but if you think that all of this was going on behind the scenes that could be one of the reasons why they didn't look like they gelled like they should have and of course we also know 
that you could have a whole bunch of first rounders in a team and they just don't gel. Right. right? Um, so, so, you know, it's really hard to say. I think they're probably going to be, and they're going to be good again this year. I mean, they've got many veneers is coming back and, you know, I mean, they've, they've got really good people there. So really good players. And there may be, you know, a sense of let's just move on. Right. And, and that can solidify a team. I expect them. I fully expect them to be very competitive because they're a good hockey team. But I don't know about, you know, I don't know what this says about the program. I really wish that I had a more definitive answer. I mean, they're, they're still Michigan. They're still going to recruit. You know, they're, they're the kind of team in the U.S. that has a legacy, you know, where guys who played for Michigan will send their kids to play for Michigan. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, you know, it, it remains to be seen. You know, Mel and, and of course, Red before him were coaches that sort of made their reputations on being able to not only produce good college hockey teams at the NCAA level, but to develop players for the NHL. And now that that is gone and that um, their new head coach is an unknown, I, I don't know how that moves forward. And I don't know if there will be other personnel changes there. I have not heard like how that's going to shake out. And he is only an interim. So I don't know if they're seeking and they're, they are playing it very close to the vest. They don't really give out a lot of information. So it's, it's hard to know, even if you've got your ear to the ground or the background, it's really hard to know how that's going to play out. I expect them this season to be very competitive. You know, I expect the big 10 to be very competitive. Um, they're, you know, the big 10 has proved itself over the last couple of years to be a very competitive league. Um, but I, you know, I really can't say how it's going to go in Michigan. It's just so surreal. Well, and Michigan's not the only program with a new head coach, a new head coach nope. at Michigan State with the uh, Spartans as well as uh, Adam Nightingale takes over uh, the reins yep. uh, behind the bench there. Uh, what do you know about him? I know he came from the program, but other than that, that's that's my, all the uh, insight I have on Adam Nightingale, but uh, I, I think you're pretty familiar with him, aren't you? Yeah, he was, um, he was the head coach at the U.S. Uh, National Development Program, which most people in, you know is sort of like... Uh, the program that the United States has developed to compete with, you know, major juniors in Canada, especially the OHL, which is so close to where we are here, right? Because mm-hmm. it's the U.S. Uh, NTDP team is located in Michigan. Its headquarters are here in Michigan. So he was there for a while and had success. And um, he uh, was an assistant coach for the Red Wings at least one season. I want to say more than that, but that might not be the case. And um, and so he's he's. I know that he earned a medal, a silver medal, I believe, at the U.S. Under-18 Men's Championship um, this year, I think, in fact. So he's got to, you know, so when, when a coach comes from that program, right, the U.S. and NTDP program, right, they are a development-minded coach. And so he has that going for him. And Michigan State was once a powerhouse, you know, hockey program in the U.S. and um, in the NCAA. And one of the things they've always prided themselves on, like Michigan, is developing talent and sending it out to the NHL. And and so that has something that has lagged in recent years. And and that is one thing, one of the reasons I'm sure they have brought Nightingale in, is that he will be able to recruit through his pipeline. <laughs> see what I did there? Through his <laughs> pipeline into the, you know, into the U.S. program. Obviously, he'll be able to recruit, right? And and then to develop talent. He's been known for developing talent. And those players that play for the U.S. national team, a lot of them go on and play at, at big schools, too, like Boston College and Michigan and Denver, which is becoming a powerhouse. And mm-hmm. and then and then some of them do skip college and go right into the pros as well. So so it's a smart move. Um I like Danton Cole, who is his predecessor. I liked him very much, but he didn't, uh, 
he didn't do what the program wanted. And, you know, and Michigan State also has a giant uh, renovation of Mun Ice Arena, um, which, you know, when a, when a program does that, um, sort of a retro renegade, renovation because it's an old arena, older arena. And when a program does that, they do so in the hopes of, you know, attracting better recruits, you know, and making themselves more attractive and stuff like that. And so I think Nightingale is a really good pick for them. Uh, I covered him when he was a Spartan. He seems like a really good guy. His reputation is good. You know, he's very well respected. And and um, I think this is a really solid step forward for the Spartan program. And and you know that whenever a program gets a new coach, there is an if there's a good enough locker room, and I think there is at Michigan State, and there is at Michigan, that you've got guys that are like, yeah, let's do this, right? It's a new, fresh thing. So I expect the Spartans to do pretty well. They were a competitive team under Dan Cole, too. They were not a gimme team, even though they were like, you know, those weren't just gimme wins at the bottom of the, even though they were at the bottom of the conference standings. They were really competitive. And so I expect them to be at least as competitive and to have a few more wins this season as, as you know, Nightingale is going to be rebuilding there. Well, we'll watch for that. I know uh, one of the teams uh, that has been up the uh, at the top of the standings the last few years have been the Golden Gophers out of Minnesota, and they look again like right. they've got another strong recruiting class uh, again right. this year. Uh, when you look at that program and and how they've sort of evolved since the Don Lucia years, uh, I mean they haven't yeah. they haven't skipped a beat, right? I mean they've actually even no. got better. Bob Motzko certainly a, a well regarded coach as, as well, and he's having a lot of success there with the Gophers too. He's an amazing guy. He is, you know, um, those of us who cover sports for a long time, we, we, we have our favorites. There's no question. You meet people and you just know, you just get to know them a little bit better, right? Sure. Moscow is one of those guys. He's just one of those very open, very transparent, which is so unusual right now for a big program coach of any kind, right? But he is, and he's, in, you know, he's, he's a WYSIWYG kind of guy. Like, what you see is what you get. So if you watch any press conference with him, you know pretty much how he runs a locker room, right? Like, that he is... He expects his players to be adults, but he understands that they're college students. He knows how to, he and his staff know how to develop talent. Um, he's, he's also has the advantage of not being, ever having been a golden gopher. And so pulling him in was brilliant, right? Like he was an outsider. So, and, and, and Minnesota is a, a very fishbowl market, right? I think it was one of the things that frustrated Lucia, who was a very good coach. Um, is that he was constantly scrutinized and it's got to be very difficult and high pressure. And, and, um, if you're, if you've got a legacy there yourself, then that puts you under even greater scrutiny and scrutiny. And Motsko doesn't care about that at all. He cares very much about making the program competitive, but he lets the other stuff slide and he doesn't let the rabid fans or press get to him. He doesn't, you know, so they are building, you know, they're building a really good team and, and, and they have, they are building as the and as the NCAA is trying to do, building a, a program that makes it valuable, you know, in terms of the NHL eventually, right? Which is where all these guys want to play, mm-hmm. and so you're developing talent for that. It's not. I know that that every you know almost every coach's goal is to win a conference championship first and then a national championship. They're really you know really focused on that, but they want to send their players out to be ambassadors, and definitely under Moscow they're doing that. He's definitely developing talent. It's been impressive to watch him, and fun, fun hockey. I mean, just really fun to watch. Uh, Paula, I know this is uh, outside of the Big Ten. Uh, Bob DeGregio, or De, DeGregorio, uh, I don't know how yeah. to pronounce it. Steve DeGregorio, yeah. Okay, the uh, former Atlantic Hockey Commissioner. Uh, I, I just saw the article at USCHO about how he's proposed this uh, new conference uh, be created for these ten teams. I, I think three of those teams are already 
basically on their way. Stonehill, Long Island started a couple years ago, and Lindenwood begins this year at the Division One level. But there's some other schools listed here. I, some of them I've never heard of. I have no idea where they're located. But I, I'm all for the growth of, of college hockey and more teams, I think, is, is fantastic. I do wonder, can you grow too big too soon? Are, do you have any concerns about that, or do you, is more teams uh, better? The more the merrier. That's a, that's a great question. I, you know, the more teams, the merrier as far as I'm concerned. But the problem is, of course, that you don't get, you know, it's such a small niche sport with like 60 teams, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so you don't, and they're, and they're so very different. I mean, Long Island University, very different from the University of Minnesota in terms of its resources. Sure. And, you know, who it can attract and things like that. And so the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to have a conference that languishes like Atlantic hockey has for as long as it has. And, and, and part of the reason why it does is because it doesn't, I don't think it gets the respect that it should. And there's some really competitive hockey being played there and players going on and playing in pro and, and coaching in pro, but it's not been a contender since it was, you know, since it was formed. And there have been a couple of other sort of outlier conferences like that, you know, the precursor to Atlantic hockey. And, and, and I don't want to see that happen. You know, I admire his vision and I, and I do say the more the merrier, but, but it is, wickedly expensive to start a hockey program for one thing. And then there are also in the United States Title IX concerns. You have to make sure that you give equal access to women athletes. It doesn't have to be hockey, right? But you can't favor men's sports over women's sports in terms of 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 um access, equity, right? So so that can be a real problem. Like I mean it's not unusual for a a, pl- a place to want to start a hockey program and then you know, and then and have to think, well, do we have to cut a men's program in another sport to do that, which is really unfair to the student athletes, right? So, so you know, I really admire that. And, and I love Bob DiGregorio. He is um, not only a visionary hockey guy, but quite a character. He's really great. Um, but it, you know, I don't know how feasible that is. And you take a look at some of the programs right now that don't have a home, yeah. right? You look at Arizona State. I mean, they have all of the power to recruit. Um, they've got a new arena where the Minnesota or where the, or the, the Phoenix Coyotes are going to be playing, right? Which I think yes. is very funny. We're in the 5,000 rank, right? Yeah. While the people of Quebec are like, can we have a team back, please? Yeah. Um, I know that whole thing, right? But, but you've got Arizona State, which is, which recruits well and could probably be a powerhouse if it were part of a conference, right? If it had that advantage of doing so. Um, although it didn't fare very well against the Big Ten a few years ago when it was sort of like, its schedule was sort of guested in, but, th- but there are lots of reasons for that. You don't share the same resources. You don't, you know, the geography is troubling. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, a lot of these places have, a lot of these schools have really smaller budgets and, and it's, it's, I want the, the, I really want the sport to expand, but I really see its expansion potential more in places like the SEC or the Texas league. And in places where there are, are club hockey teams, right? These are affiliated with colleges, but they're not NCAA level. They're club hockey. But they draw 3,000 to 5,000 fans a game at places like the University of Georgia that play in in Atlanta. You know, there's a Texas league where they draw a few thousand people a game. And and these are big universities that have a lot of of resources available to them. And you get some of those in, and it it really is sort of a, a system where where you get some of those teams in, then they help support, right, the the other teams in their conferences that don't have those kinds of resources. And and I don't see 
and for all of college hockey, we need a lot more bigger teams. University of Kentucky has a huge club team. You know, we need people like that, and they're just down the road from Columbus, from Ohio State. Mm. So we we need teams like that to step up if they can. But it is just a prohibitively expensive endeavor. And you know, I like his vision, but I don't know how practical it is for growing the sport. We, you know, and I like the fact that that places like College Hockey Inc. and you know people like Di Gregorio are looking at markets where the sport itself has grown. Um, you know, the NHL teams that get a lot of support and where a lot of kids in the United States are now playing hockey because yep. of that, and even in places that we don't consider to be hockey places like the desert, right? Yep. You know, and the Southeast and the Southwest. But I, I don't necessarily know how to, you know, convert that into NCAA success. It seems yet. to me like the first programs in California, whether it's USC or UCLA, right. if they can get right. programs or Oregon, right. the Ducks in Oregon or UNLV for heck's sake in, in Vegas. Absolutely. Now, those teams Absolutely. would have such an advantage with recruiting because how many players are coming from the West Coast and have to travel? Yep. I mean, Denver's the closest team to them and now Arizona State, but it seems like a, a UCLA would have such an advantage recruiting. Yep, I agree. I agree. And, and it's something that we, we, we always fantasize about. And when, when, you know, when the Knights went to Vegas, we were hopeful, right? Mm-hmm. Because we, we do get a lot of players from, from Nevada in the NCAA. And so, yeah, but it is, again, it's prohibitively expensive. We're coming out of a pandemic, which just hurt higher ed all over, too, in, in the United States. It just absolutely crushed higher education in terms of of keeping programs afloat, you know, academically. And I know that a lot of athletic departments are run separately from um, academics that we, in, in the United States they are, right? You've got big donors and whatever, and um, especially in bigger programs, like you said, like USC and UCLA or Michigan or Michigan State. But in smaller programs, they're really not. You don't have the benefit of having a really big football team, for example, you know, that brings in the revenue that can support the other, you know, sports right, right. underneath them. And so, and, and I think that that's part of the problem is that you also have an entire industry, the high, you know, higher education in the United States that has gone through a really, really rough time, you know, attracting students, keeping enrollments up. And, and because sports has been disrupted, you know, getting donors to pony up too. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't help that there's been a recession, right? Yeah. That people are trying to recover from and, and everything else. So um, I love Di Gregorio's vision, but I, I don't know if it can be realized. Paula, this was a lot of fun. I kept you a long time, but it was great to catch up uh, again. Oh, uh, very much so. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and uh, I'll chat with you again during the season. Great. You take care. There's Paula Weston from USCHO, who's been a uh, longtime writer with that publication, online publication, and uh, has done a great job covering, well, a lot of those schools and programs around Michigan, you know, the Big Ten before that, the CCHA, and all the different uh, forms that the uh, formats that the conferences have looked like uh, over the years, the WCHA once upon a time. You think of where the NCAA is right now with, I've actually lost count of, you know, some teams have gone on the shelf and some teams are coming back off the shelf, like Alaska Anchorage is coming back uh, this year. Robert Morris is coming back next year. And then we've got some new programs who are starting up, Lindenwood this year. Uh, Stonehill has kind of got one foot in the Division One waters. We'll see what their schedule looks like this year. But as we're talking about the outgoing commissioner from the Atlantic Hockey is uh, pitching this idea of 10 teams, uh, three of which, Lindenwood and Stonehill and Long Island University, are already going, but seven other programs maybe kicking into Division One. It just seems like college hockey is on the precipice of really exploding and getting much bigger in a very, very short period of time. 
Utica. I've heard uh, uh, getting closer and closer. We've talked about Navy in the past and, and Illinois. Well, I guess that didn't work out. But uh, as I mentioned with uh, with Paula at the end there, some of those uh, schools out in California and UNLV and Oregon, maybe it doesn't happen you know, in, in the next two or three years. But 20 years from now, might we, we be up to 80-plus teams in NCAA hockey, Division One hockey? That would be something. All right, up next, we're going to recap the uh, recent Holinka Gretzky Cup. Derek Newmeyer is my guest from Future Considerations, FC Hockey. Who stood out for him? We'll find out when we come back. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, this is Cody Glass from the Portland Winter Hawks. Gets the draw. Glass walking towards the net. He scores! First period hat trick. It's natural from Cody Glass. And you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Are you a U15 or U17 player looking to sharpen up your skills, have fun, and get conditioned for the upcoming hockey season? Let our coaches and players get you ready at the Spruce Grove Saints 4th Annual Hockey School, brought to you by NextGen Transportation. The camp takes place August 22nd to 26th at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. The camp includes over 10 hours of on and off ice training. For more details and to register for the camp, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca slash community slash hockey school today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hi, everybody. We're back on The Pipeline Show as we continue on with this uh, season 18 uh, premiere episode of the uh, new year. In this segment, we're going to talk about the Helenka Gretzky Cup that just uh, wrapped up. During the two-week break here between Season 17 and 18, so playing a little catch-up, and for myself, I was not able to get down to Red Deer. I uh, had COVID, so I was stuck at home. I saw a little bit of it on TV, but outside of that, uh, I need to get uh, brought up to speed. And to help me do that is uh, Derek Newmeyer from Future Considerations. Uh, Derek, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure. I appreciate you making the time like this in the summer. I know it's been a busy one for you with the NHL draft. You were there and the Holinka Gretzky Cup and everything that's going on. And uh, just such a a compacted summer as it is uh, this year. So I appreciate you being available for the Pipeline Show. Thanks for doing this. Oh, no problem at all. When you think back to the Holinka Gretzky Cup, is there something immediately that jumps out for you? Was this a a good tournament in your mind from a a scout perspective? Well, I got to say, you know, as as I'm sure most people already know, Canada won gold at that tournament. And I can't remember the last time I've seen such a thorough, complete job well done Mm -hmm. uh, from a team at an international hockey tournament. You know, my mind goes back to maybe Sochi, in 2014, where Canada won gold in the Olympics. But this is just a great, great showing for the Canadian roster. You know, from to- from the top of their roster to the bottom, from the first defensive pair to the last, I thought everyone on that team did a really good job. You know, they were balanced. They were really skilled. And they just really controlled um, the play the whole tournament. I think they only gave up, what was it, like four or five goals combined the whole tournament while they scored more than 30. It was just really, really impressive. Uh, it wasn't you know, as good of a tournament as we've seen in previous years, uh, largely due to the fact that the Russian team wasn't allowed to play. Right. But it was it was still great hockey. You know, it's great to see some of these top young players uh, this early in the season. It gives scouts a good idea of, you know, who we want to keep a close eye on throughout the course of the season. And it's just nice to see some of these talented players, you know, playing for national pride and for medals and, 
you know, trying to see what they can do in, in a situation that's different than what we're going to see out of them during the regular season that's going to be starting in the fall. Generally speaking, I think we, we all are all expecting the 2023 draft to be pretty strong and pretty deep. And the way Canada dominated at this tournament, is it, are we getting the sense that it's a really strong entry draft because just because of the Canadian talent alone? I mean, it's a really, really good year for the, for the CHL in general and, of course, the WHL. But is it average years uh, for Europe and for the United States? And we just think it's that good because the Canadians are so talented? Or how do you see it? Well, it's definitely going to be an above-average draft uh, in terms of talent and depth. And you're right. It is going to be largely because of the Canadian contingent this year. You know, every year there's ebbs and flows about where the talent comes from. I mean, this past year, seeing a bunch of Slovakian talent come up, that was, you know, rare. You don't see that very often. You know, we had some really high-profile Germans not that long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, Nico Hischier from Switzerland went first overall. But this is going to be a very Canada-heavy draft. Now, there are still good players uh, that are going to be coming up from other nations. You know, we saw some of them at this tournament. Uh, Edward Schala of the Czechs had a great tournament. Uh, Otto Stenberg from Sweden, he's really talented. Casper uh, Haltunen from Finland, he didn't have the best tournament, but he's a player with a lot of potential. But it's going to be a very Canada-heavy draft uh, in 2023. I would say at least 15 players from Canada are probably going to go in the first round. Wow! And we're not even talking about someone like Connor Bedard, who's projected to go first overall. He wasn't even at this tournament because he was preparing for the ongoing um, World Juniors. So it's it's a really good year to um, scout in in Canada, especially in the West in my region. And there's good players on a whole bunch of different teams. And it's going to be a really, really good year for scouting. There's going to be a lot of interesting talent at all positions. Adam Fantilli, another Canadian who wasn't at the Holinka Gretzky Cup because he was at the uh, the World Junior Camp for Canada for the 2023 uh, tournament. So got to play against uh, these guys in their uh, tune-ups games before the Holinka Gretzky Cup. But another guy who's going to go really high for Canada that wasn't involved in this tournament. Well, maybe let's start with uh, with Team Canada because they were so dominant and I don't know if there was a guy on the roster that stood out for you that maybe caught your attention that you were you knew to watch for him, but wow, he impressed you more than you expected he would. Somebody like that come to mind? Yeah, it, well, there were a few good players on on the Canadian roster, and I really want to come back just to the balance that the team showed. Okay, you know they really didn't have to rely on one or two guys or even one or two lines. You know there were times where their third and fourth lines were outplaying their first and second lines which just goes to show the type of depth they had. I mean, Tanner Howe spent the tournament, most of the tournament on the fourth line, and he scored a goal in the gold medal game against Sweden. So it was, it, was, it was a hard tournament in a sense to, you know, see the best out of all of the players because they, they really did roll the lines quite evenly. But uh, there were definitely some players who made a stamp um, on, on their draft status and, you know, really cemented themselves as guys to watch in this class. Uh, Ethan Gauthier is one who I, I was really surprised by in a, in a positive way. You know, he led Canada in goals, and he was scoring big goals in big games, including a huge one in the gold medal game against Sweden. You know, his, his shot is incredible. Uh, not quite Connor Bedard level, but, I mean, who's is? But he's definitely one of the better shooters in this class. You know, he's, he's able to disguise his release really well. He's able to elevate from in tight. He's got a great, great accurate release on his shot. Uh, you know, there's still some other things to his game that he needs to work on, like his pace and, you know, his overall vision. But he had a really good tournament. You know, he was bringing the goal scoring for Canada, and you know, he, he made a huge difference for them. Um, you know, a lot of the other players who are really good were guys that I was already kind of familiar with, you know, having scouted them in the West. Uh, Braden Yeager had a really good tournament on Canada's top line. 
scored a bunch of goals, set up some other ones. And I thought he played a really solid two-way game. Uh, Zach Benson had a great tournament. You know, really, really shifty, smart player. Just incredible hockey sense. Was able to fly in holes and pounce on mistakes. You know, his timing in the offensive zone for intercepting passes or pickpocketing opposing defenders. It's really, really high end. His puck skill is really good. You know, he's just got a really solid all-around understanding of the game, able to think it, you know, a couple uh, plays ahead of most of his competition. Um, some defensemen were really uh, notable standouts as well. I thought Tanner Molendyke and Caden Price were really, really good from the back end. You know, they are two guys that I've seen before, but I thought they really stepped up their games in this tournament, you know, transporting the puck really efficiently out of their own zone, you know, driving the play up ice, chipping in a little bit offensively here or there. I thought they were really, really noticeable in a positive way. Uh, Cam Allen was the team's captain. You know, he's a pretty highly touted prospect of the OHL, you know, physical, well-rounded, and a little bit undersized right shot defenseman, but someone who can do a little bit of everything. I thought he had a really good tournament, but I really just want to come down to the fact that it was a really good team situation. You know, that you didn't have players trying to do too much by themselves. You know, you didn't need anyone to kind of put the team on their back and carry everything themselves because they're just playing so well as a cohesive unit. And, you know, the results, the results really speak for themselves. Well, and in the end, uh, Scott Ratzloff in net for, uh, for Canada ends up playing four games, 976 save percentage and only a, a .50 goals against average. And that, that might speak to how good the team was in front of him, but he's a pretty darn good goaltender as well. And even as the backup in Seattle last year, his numbers were great. He, I mean, he was the second guy there. And he'll, I guess he'll probably be the second guy in Seattle again this year because Thomas Millich is still there. But, uh, man, Ratzloff is a really good goaltender too. Yeah, he had kind of a funny tournament. You know, over the first few games, I didn't have the strongest opinion of him because, like you said, you know, Canada was just so good. Mm-hmm. They had the puck a lot of the time. They weren't really giving up many shots or many quality scoring chances. I mean, Ratzloff still did his job. You know, he'd go in and come out with 15 to 20 saves in a game. But, you know, he wasn't overly tested. But I will say that in the gold medal game, you know, he really stepped up big time. I don't know if it was just nerves or you know, a stronger push from the Swedes knowing that it was the gold medal game. But that was the toughest challenge Canada had uh, all tournament. That was the most scoring chances they gave up, like quality scoring chances. And Ratzlaff really came up big, you know, including in the third period. He made some key saves on some quality chances that kept Canada in the, in the game. You know, I thought his composure was really solid. He's really well-rounded technically. He's not the biggest guy, not the quickest guy. But his positioning was really strong. His technique is really good. His rebound control is good. His ability to see through traffic is good. He's a very impressive young goaltender. And you're right, it is going to be a little bit of a shame for him uh, being on Seattle this year, stuck behind Thomas Millich. I mean, he's he's going to be on a good team, Mm -hmm. so it's always nice to win. But I feel like he's a player who could be a starter this season, and he might not get that chance. So he's going to be a guy that you'll want to watch a little extra closely as a scout because he's not going to get the sheer number of games he'd kind of ideally want. So it'll be interesting to, to watch him and see where he goes, because right now he's definitely shaping up to be one of the better goalies in this draft class. Uh, before we move off of Team Canada, there's one more guy I want to ask you about, because he's coming up on the show here in about, uh, well, after our segment is done, and that's Matthew Wood, who played in the BCHL this past season, led the league in scoring with 85 points, and he's 17 years old. So, wasn't sure what to expect from him at an event like this where he uh, takes a clear step up in a competition level from the BCHL to an international tournament like this. 
uh, at least on paper, I mean, he had five points uh, in the event. That's pretty good. It's, you know, one of the top scorers for Team Canada uh, on a really deep team. How did he do in your mind? Oh, I thought he did well in, in the role he had. I mean, I don't think he was used to getting um, as little ice time as he did. You know, in the BCHL last year, he was a go-to guy. You know, top power play, top line, you know, getting all kinds of, quali- all kinds of quality chances. At this tournament, because Canada was rolling four lines a little bit differently, you know, he had to adapt a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I thought he did well. You know, he, he was there when he needed to be. You know, he got his fair share of chances. And as you alluded to with his points, you know, he was able to convert on them. You know, he was in, in and around the, the net a lot. You know, he was good with the puck. He wasn't forcing the play. He wasn't turnover prone. You know, he's still a player who's growing into his body a little bit. There were some times where, you know, maybe the coordination was a little bit off or he, you know, he did struggle at times with uh, the pace and, and the quality of competition. Okay. But overall, I thought he had a really good tournament considering he was coming up, you know, from the BCHL level, playing against guys who, you know, are playing in the CHL and playing against some players who are playing professionally in Europe. So I thought he had a really nice tournament and he's definitely a player with a lot of really impressive long-term upside. Speaking with Derek Newmeyer from uh, Future Considerations as we uh, look back at the Holinka Gretzky Cup and who stood out uh, for Derek uh, from that event down in Red Deer uh, two, three weeks ago now. Uh, when you uh, think of the rest of the tournament, uh, th- for me this is always an interesting one because it's almost best on best uh, outside of the United States who don't bring their best team because they're all playing uh, for the uh, National Development Program. So this is kind of the uh, best of the rest uh, of the Americans that are available. Uh, and they didn't perform all that well this year, but there were some some players who had good tournaments. Uh, who from the Americans stood out for you? You know, there was one player who really impressed me that I actually didn't know anything about coming into the tournament. His name was Will Whitelaw. Yeah. He's just a smaller firecracker of a forward, and there were times where he looked like the best player in the whole tournament just with the way he was able to take over shifts. I mean, his pacing is incredible. He was, he's just always flying around the ice. He's always churning his feet. He's always pushing the attack. You know, I thought he did a really, really good job opening up the ice for the Americans. He was scoring a ton of points early on in the tournament, and that did slow down later on. You know, he, he got pushed to the outside a little bit, but he definitely cemented himself as a player that scouts will want to watch a lot this season. He just had a really, um, really standout tournament where, you know, he proved that he can play with talented players against other talented players and make a difference. So I, I really liked what I saw out of him, and I'm excited to see him again this upcoming season. Uh, Quinton Musty was really interesting. Um, you know, the first overall pick in the OHL priority draft not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Plays for Sudbury. You know, really talented player. Incredible natural skill uh, with the puck. You know, he just when you watch him carry the puck, when you watch him protect it, move it around, pass it, shoot it, there's just such a natural ease to how he does it. And he's a bigger, stronger kid, too. So that really helps him when it comes to hanging on to the puck, you know, making things happen in the dirty areas of the ice, you know, winning board battles. Um, he's going to be a bit of a polarizing prospect this year, I think, because he's very talented, but there are things to his game that you maybe want to see change a little bit. His pace can be a little slow. He can get caught standing around a little bit and not moving his feet. Um, so there's things that he needs to work on. But he's a player with a lot of talent and a lot of pedigree, and he's going to be someone that will be worth keeping an eye on moving forward. American player I was told to keep an eye on, and I, unfortunately I didn't get to watch them play, was uh, Andrew Strathman, the defenseman. Uh, I was told to watch for him. 
Uh, he ended up having four points in four games for the Americans. Uh, did he make a positive impression on you? Yep. Strathman would have been the third guy that I mentioned positively from that team. You know, he was a really good game manager, really consistent with his decision-making uh, in all three zones. You know, I thought he was really effective in that regard, you know, stopping defense or stopping things defensively in his own zone and, you know, moving the puck up ice. You know, he was crisp with his passes. He was accurate. You know, he made good decisions about when to try and carry the puck out of the zone himself. He made good decisions about when to jump up into the play offensively. He's a really competitive guy. I mean, he had a hundred penalty minutes last season in the US, USHL, which kind of goes to show what type of player he can be sometimes. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. And I like that about him for sure. Uh, you know, a little undersized, maybe not the best skater or the most purely skilled, but there's no there's no doubt that he's going to be a player that a lot of teams will like and will be happy to watch more this season. All right, Derek, you mentioned a couple of the Europeans who stood out for you. Maybe we'll start with Otto Stenberg. Uh, he, le- he was second in uh, tournament scoring with nine points uh, for Sweden. Uh, what sort of uh, a player are we talking about when you uh, describe Otto Stenberg? He's a good power forward with a really good hockey sense. You know, he, he does his best work uh, on the forecheck in the cycle. You know, he's really tough to handle when he gets the puck on his stick. He's able to, you know, shake off defenders. He's able to power through them to take the puck to the net. He's also good in transition. You know, he sees the ice really well. He's got a really good shot that he can use to score from distance. Uh, he plays at a good pace. He's responsible in his own zone. He's kind of like uh, maybe like a Brandon Saad kind of player where I don't know if there's anything about his game that truly pops, but he's just really well-rounded, a bigger, stronger kid who can play a power game, but also has the skill to play a little bit more finesse, to play you know higher up in a lineup or lower in a lineup, depending on where he needs him to be. Um, I thought he we didn't see necessarily the best of him in the tournament, uh, despite the high scoring totals, but that's mostly because he didn't have a lot of support around him. Right. I thought the Swedish roster this year was a little disappointing overall. And I feel like if he had at least one or two better linemates to work with in the playoff of, we would have seen a lot more out of Stenberg. But he's definitely a top guy for this class and definitely someone you could project to go in the first round. And then there was the Czech forward uh, who, I think, the how do you pronounce the last name? Is it Chalet? Edward Chalet? I think it's Chalet, yes. Okay. Chalet, uh, Chalet or Chalet. I get it mixed up. All right. It's not Sale or yes, Chalet. that's right. All right, well, six points for him in five games and was clearly uh, the best player for Czechia? Oh, yeah, hands down. He was so dynamic this whole tournament. You know, his ability to play off the rush is you know, almost unparalleled in this draft class. He's so fast and he's so skilled at full speed. You know, his ability to deep defenders, his ability to thread you know, small passes at full speed is really impressive. He, when he comes down the wing, you really have to be careful as a defenseman because he can beat you wide. He can cut you to the inside and beat that beat you that way. You know, he's able to, you know, maneuver the puck and himself between defensemen, you know, through tight spaces. He just sees the ice so well, almost effortlessly. You know, when you just watch him, some of the things that he can do are really high end and he just makes them look natural and really easy. So he's definitely a player with a lot of offensive potential. You know, he's a smaller guy, maybe not the most strength, but I, I really like his defensive game as well. He doesn't cheat. You know, he killed penalties the whole tournament for the Czechs, and he looked really good in that role. You know, he's competitive. He'll throw his body what, what, as much as he can um, when he has to. He's, he's a really, really fun player to watch, and I think he's going to be a really popular player in this draft class just because there's a lot to like about him, and you love his mental approach to the game. Derek, was there a guy that you were looking forward to seeing or you were curious about to see where he fits in 
uh, when he's amongst all these other guys who just didn't do it for you? Yeah, that would definitely have to be uh, Theo Lindstein uh, on the Swedish roster. Um, he played some pro last year, actually, as a 16-, 17-year-old. I think he played 12 games in the SHL. And he's definitely a player that was on everyone's radar coming into the tournament. And he just never really got his feet under him uh, for the Swedes. He's pretty turnover prone. He didn't really make much of an impact in any kind of way positively. You know, I didn't love his defensive game, uh, whether that was defending the rush or breaking up cycles. He was pretty quiet offensively. I mean, he did put up some points in some of the weaker, in some of the easier games against some of the weaker opponents. Mm. But as the tournament went on and, you know, the stakes went higher, I just didn't really like um, what he brought to the table. I didn't really see a lot of high-end tools. I didn't think he's, his overall impact was good. And I mean, I don't want to be too hard on the guy. It's still early. You know, he, he did play in the SHL last year for a reason. You know, there's obviously something there to him as a prospect, but it's pretty safe to say that he was a disappointment at this tournament. And, you know, that was echoed by other scouts that I talked to there. He just didn't quite have the best showing. But, you know, that happens sometimes. You know, it's not the end of the world for these prospects to have a good or a bad tournament. Sure. Yep, no question about that. I don't disagree with that at all. All right, Derek, uh, up next for you in FC Hockey, uh, I guess, when's the first ranking come out, things like that? How do you kind of get uh, started here early on in the season? <laughs> well, it's it's going to be a bit of a break for sure still. It's August, and, you know, once the World Juniors are done, I'm hoping to take a bit of a break before yeah. getting back into it too soon. But, you know, that's the life of the scout. It never really stops. So there are, are already discussions about 2023 rankings. You know, it, it pays to start doing some groundwork now and knowing who you want to watch and where you want to focus your attention early on. So, yeah, it's going to be quiet for the next little bit, but, you know, that time's going to go by fast. And come October and September, once training camps are opening up and preseason games and then the regular season, you know, you want to be ready to hit the ground running when it all does begin. Great stuff, Derek. Always appreciate when you're able to come on the show. Uh, look forward to chatting with you throughout the season. Sounds good. Thanks, Gene. Nice to chat with you again. That was Derek Newmeyer from FC Hockey, Future Considerations, getting you set for the upcoming 2023 NHL draft. I say upcoming. Yeah, it's about, uh, what, 11 months away, 10 and a half months away. Uh, but uh, you know, it'll be here before we know it, sooner than we expect it. Uh, it'll uh, sneak up on us, and we want to get ready as early as possible. So there's a look back at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Most of the guys in that tournament will be eligible for the 2022, excuse me, 2023 NHL draft. Uh, so we're setting the table there with the help of Derek. Everyone at uh, FC Hockey does such a great job. Future considerations, they've been doing it for a long time. Good bunch of guys uh, behind the scenes as well. And they uh, put in the work getting out to the rinks to watch the guys so that you don't have to. Up next is a guy that I'm sure we'll talk about over the course of the season as he's uh, considered to be a... Uh, you know, a, a pretty projectable first-round draft pick uh, coming up in 2023. As I mentioned with Derek, Matthew Wood, he led the BCHL in scoring last year as a 17-year-old. That doesn't happen all that often. We'll find out where he's going to be this year. I know eventually he's slated to go to the University of Connecticut to play with the Huskies. But will he be in the BCHL again with the Victoria Grizzlies? Might he be looking for somewhere else? I know the Regina Pats would certainly like to have him lining up next to Connor Bedard. Well, we'll talk to Matthew Wood about it all next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in Alberta. Get in touch with them at wilhockbeefjerky.com. Back after this. 
Hey, it's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. Now he goes cross ice, center ice to Holloway. Drop pass between his legs, white spot, three feeds Holloway open, scores! <laughs> what a fantastic play! Holloway, white spot, back to Holloway. 1 1, wow! And you're listening to Pipeline Show. Talent, development, NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Colton Pareko. And Patrick Sharp were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Impressive. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show, and it is the final segment in the season 18 premiere episode for the Pipeline Show. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. And we're going to end this week's episode with a 2023 draft spotlight boy it seems like it's a, a long way away for the next nhl draft but uh it's uh, gonna go quickly and uh, before we know it my next guest might be hearing his name uh, called on day one as i'm uh, pleased to be joined by the uh, last year's leading scorer in the bchl that would be matthew wood of the victoria grizzlies uh, matt welcome to the pipeline show how are you I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. All right, it's a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you, and I appreciate uh, giving up uh, a little bit of your summer here to, to come on the show. I know it's going to be an awfully busy year, so I'm glad you were able to make time for me now. Uh, and it's been a busy summer for you, too, hasn't it? I mean, you're just coming off the, the Linka Gretzky Cup, a gold medal win with Team Canada. Maybe we'll start there and just what that experience was like for you. Yeah, I mean, it was an, a really amazing experience. You know, I'll get to play with all the best players from Canada, all the best players around the world for for the draft and you know see what everyone's like and you know just build some really nice friendships and obviously have amazing experience on the ice you know it's an honor to play for team canada and obviously we had a great great tournament and you know brought home gold which was a really great feeling so it was a really great experience and i'm just thankful that i was able to be a part of it now all the other guys are playing major junior or wherever across the country. I don't know how many other guys from the BCHL were on the team, but that doesn't mean you you haven't crossed paths with a lot of these guys over the years. I mean, when you're the higher end caliber players, I'm sure you've played uh, with or against a, a lot of these guys before. Guys who were teammates for you with Canada. Yeah, I played played with all of them at the uh, the U17s in Ottawa at the in December last year, and then. Obviously, you know, growing up, everyone played spring hockey, so played spring with a couple guys, played spring against a lot of those guys. So we all we all know each other quite well, and you know, everyone everyone gets along, everyone has fun. So it's a great group. One of the things, though, maybe it's a challenge when you get to represent Canada, especially on a team that was as deep and as dominant as this edition of Canada was. It's all guys who are the player, the number one guy on their club teams, but you come together like this and, and maybe you're playing further down the depth chart or you're playing a different role than you might be. Uh, what was it uh, like for you? Uh, who were your line mates and, and were you asked to do anything different with Canada than you uh, normally do with Victoria? Yeah, I mean, you know, the line switch every day. It's a short tournament. Everyone plays with everyone and, you know, everyone's great to play with. Everyone's, you know, working hard, doing their best. So, you know, everyone enjoys just getting on the ice and 
I mean, obviously, being at a Team Canada event, everyone's playing in different roles than they're used to. So you just kind of have to accept what you're you're given, accept the ice that you're given, and you know, make it work with whatever you can do, and you know, try and help the team win. Well, a point-per-game uh, player at the Holinka Gretzky Cup in Red Deer. Five points in five games. A couple of those were goals. Were you happy with your performance? Were you satisfied with the way you played? Yeah, I mean, I thought I played pretty good. I mean, our team won, so there's not really much else you can really complain about. So, you know, obviously that's the main goal. And then, you know, just having fun, that's a big part of hockey, enjoying your experience. Like, I enjoyed my time, and I had, I had fun, so... You know, it was a great experience. Matthew Wood is my guest uh, of the Victoria Grizzlies, uh, headed to UConn to play for uh, Connecticut and the Huskies uh, eventually. Once his uh, NCAA career begins, we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, he's my guest in the 2023 draft spotlight. And uh, Matt, what we like to do in this part of the show is let my audience get to know a player who's draft eligible. The Pipeline Show is a junior college hockey show, so my regular audience will know about the BCHL. I'm sure they've heard of you uh, to this point, but Come the draft, uh, there'll be a lot of uh, casual NHL fans who don't care about junior or college hockey at all uh, who will tune into a, an episode like this or even just your segment just because you're a draft-eligible player. So for the uh, the benefit of that segment of the audience that's listening right now, let's start at the beginning. Uh, Where did you grow up? Where are you from, Matt? Um, I was born in Lethbridge, Alberta, and my dad was a women's college hockey coach, so we moved moved around. He coached at the University of Minnesota. He coached at UNH. So I've, I was around there when I was really young. And then obviously I moved to Nanaimo, BC when I was 10 years old and grew up there ever since. Okay. Uh, obviously the next question I usually ask guys is uh, how did you get into hockey? I guess if your dad was a, a high level coach like that, pretty easy answer there. I'm sure he got you started fairly young. Yeah. I mean, my dad got me into it and I, I just loved playing and you know, it's just all my memories, like, dating back, I can just remember just having fun on the ice. So that's really what got me into it. Is, uh, do you have siblings, or are you an only child? I have two younger sisters. Okay. Uh, are they at the an age where they're playing yet? Uh, they, they've tried, but they <laughs> they don't really like it. They are the, One of my sisters plays volleyball, and the other one play, uh, does gymnastics. All right, very good. Uh, have you always been a forward, Matt, or did you try other positions uh, along the way? Like, uh, were you on the blue line or, heck, throw the pads on? Yeah, I was actually a goalie, when, like, half and half when I was pretty young and then had to make the decision to become either full-time of goalie or forward, so I chose forward. Any particular reason why? Uh, I like scoring. Scoring the goal is more fun than getting scored on? Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that makes sense. Uh, all right, now, how did you end up with the Victoria? What was the process that led you uh, to uh, to playing for the Grizzlies? A couple of, started a couple of years ago, and then obviously had the big season last year. But uh, what led you to Victoria in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I was going to just different ID camps for different BCHL teams, and then you know went to Victoria's, and it just kind of instantly felt like home. I really liked the coach. Um, he he really you know, brought me there, I would say, the most the most part of the, the biggest reason why I chose Victoria was the coach, and then I just liked all the guys in the room. They all made me feel comfortable, even though I was really young, and, you know, it just kind of felt like the right thing to do. Well, I had a, uh, a quick 18 games uh, back in uh, 2021, uh, 13 points that year, but again, last year, 
45 goals, 85 points in just 46 games. It, it, uh, it seems like you couldn't have scripted a better, uh, better season for yourself last year, leading the, the league in scoring and only 17 years old. You got to be pretty pleased with that. Yeah. You know, we had a great season. I mean, obviously I had, we had a great team, you know, a lot of great players on our team and everyone really, you know, wanted to help everyone get better and help everyone improve and everyone wanted to win. So everyone on the team, you know, really, just had great seasons and I think everyone had fun and that's what hockey at the end of the day, that's why we play. So that's what, that's what I try to focus on. Did it surprise you at all though, that, that you put up that much, uh, that you'd have that high of production? I mean, 85 points in 46 games is terrific, but you're also only 17 years old last season. I mean, that's, I don't know how often it is that uh, a, a kid that, that age is going to lead the league in scoring. I, I can't imagine it's very often. Yeah, I think I didn't really have those ex- expectations on me, but I kind of expected it of myself. I didn't, I came into the season, you know, I worked really hard all summer and I felt like there was no one in the league that could, you know, do what I can do. And I just wanted to go out there and prove it every night. And I feel like I did a good job throughout the year staying consistent. So that's what kind of helped me have the season I have. And I just kind of did what I do and, I did what I like to do and had fun, so that's really what it what it all comes down to. All right, well, this is the 2023 draft spotlight segment, uh, so we're going to ask you for a self scouting report. I mean, we can look at the stats and kind of get a sense of. Obviously, you're an offensive guy, but maybe it doesn't tell the whole story. So, how do you describe yourself as a player, Matt? I think I'm, you know, obviously when I get the puck, I'm I like to you know make creative plays, and you know I I can make plays out of nothing, and I can. I can score from anywhere, so that's really me on the offensive side of the puck, and I like to think that I'm responsible on like on the defensive side of the puck, and I I definitely don't take that aspect of the game lightly. And I mean, I would say if you were gonna if you were gonna say one skill of me that stands out, it would be my shot. But I have a lot of other aspects that, if you really watch my game, would stand out as well. Uh, and you can't teach size in the sheet I'm looking at says 6'3 and 194 pounds. I don't know how up to date that is. That might have been at the start of last season. I don't know. So what are you at right now? Yeah, that was, um, I was from the tournament in Red Deer. That was the start of that tournament. So that's pretty recent. I'm pretty much the same. I might be like a pound or two heavier, but yeah, that's pretty accurate. Uh, have you topped out growing or do you think there's still more to come? Um, it wouldn't be too much more if I have. I, pretty late i was probably only six one going into the pod season so okay. i grew grew a little bit through that summer and then probably probably pretty close to done now uh now the sheet i'm looking at says forward it doesn't tell me if you're a center or a winger i can tell you, you shoot right but uh where do you where do you find yourself uh, on the ice uh with victoria the most i can play i played half and half this year you know i I can play anywhere. I can play in the middle or I can play wing. It really doesn't matter to me. I mean, I'm trying to work on being a super more responsible center, working on face-offs. So I could be a full-time center. But, I mean, I can play anywhere. Uh, now, we mentioned the University of Connecticut. That is your uh, college destination of, of choice. And I guess with your father being a, a former college coach, I guess that's the natural fit for you there. And uh, I'm sure that had some influence on, on your decision. Uh, why Connecticut, though? You have a, a lot of programs to pick from. Why is that the right one for you? 
Um, just kind of the same as Victoria. Really loved, you know, the coaches. They really put a lot of effort into me. They really, you know, saw my potential and saw me for who I was and not who they wanted me to be. And they really made me feel comfortable, made me feel at home. So, you know, that, that was the main thing for them. And as we're speaking right now, it's mid-August. Uh, is there some question as to where you're going to be a month from now, whether it's back in the BCHL with Victoria, or could you uh, actually be playing college hockey this year? Do you know yet? Yeah, so I graduated from high school um, this year, so I do have the option to go into college next, well, I guess in a couple weeks here. So still not a... I, yeah, I guess there's still a question about where I'm going to be in a, in a couple weeks. Okay, well, if you don't mind me asking, I wonder what, what kind of things you're still factoring, what's going to influence your final your choice. Because you look at 85 points, you led the league in scoring, what's left for you in the BCHL? At the same time, you don't want to go to college too early and kind of get shuffled down the depth chart or whatever because you're still very young. And, you know, being a true freshman isn't an easy thing to do. But I imagine there are lots of things that are influencing your eventual decision. Yeah, I mean, just kind of time on, you know, time with my decision. I like to sleep on things and make sure I feel the same way for at least a couple of days in a row. And, you know, there's a lot of good and bad to both. They're both great places. Either way, I'm going to be fine in the long run. So it doesn't really matter truly. But in the end, I'll end up in University of Connecticut eventually, whether it's this year or next year. Uh, you know, I got to ask you about the Regina Pats. They drafted in the second round of, uh, a couple of years back, and uh, they got a, a team that's uh, trying to make some noise this year. They got a, a fairly significant player on that roster in, in Connor Bedard, and I'm sure they would love to have you come play for them. Not in the picture at all. I, I know uh, as a Canadian, most Canadians do end up going the CHL route, but a lot of guys, and, and maybe it's a growing number of players who are going the NCAA path, was it an easy choice for you? Have you known all along uh, that you were a college guy? Um, for me, it was really, you know, I needed to put on weight. I still need to put on a lot of weight. I still have a lot of filling out to do. I still have a lot of strength I need to put on. And I felt like, you know, the dub wasn't the right path for me to do that. Obviously, Regina is a great organization. And, you know, they hope they're going to do, you know, they're going to have a great season. And, you know, I hope that, I hope that they do as well as they can, but it's just it just wasn't the right fit for what I need to get to my end goal. But obviously, they're a great, great place to play. Southern Alberta born, but uh, grew up in BC. Are you a Flames fan, Canucks fan, or somebody else? Yeah, I, I like the Canucks a lot. You know, just always their games on. You know, everyone in my family likes the Canucks. It's just I I was just more able to cheer for them when I was. A little bit older, but not too old. So I like the Canucks. I don't know if there's a, a Canuck in particular or just somebody, or maybe two or three guys in the NHL who you look to and might be similar size or play a similar style to you, and you kind of use them as a uh, a role model or a blueprint and say, that guy's having success, I can do the same sort of thing and, and play that way. Anybody like that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, my favorite player my whole life has been Anthony Malkin. You know, he's big. He's a really great player. He's a great passer and he can score. You know, I always like to think of myself as kind of like him. And another guy that I like to think that I'm like is uh, Miko Ranton. And he's big, skilled, you know, yep. he can really shoot. And 
those are the two guys that I really look to and try to take a lot of stuff from their game. And You know, they're obviously great players. They're doing amazing things, so they're fun to watch. All right. Well, before I let you go, when will you have to kind of make up your mind for this season? Because I'm sure the BCHL season is going to get started here. Training camp's going to open up right away. Uh, if you decide to go the college route, when do you have to sort of make that decision by? Um, uh, I've had to make it before, oh, but okay. I'm just delaying it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Lots summers are, yeah. I don't even know what to say right now, to be honest. I'm like, I got home from practice and I have conversations with my parents on like where I'm going to be next year. And yeah. Just never ending process, really. All right. Well, I'll let you leave. I'll leave it at that. And uh, I appreciate your time, Matt. Uh, wherever you're playing this year, I wish you the best of luck. And hopefully we can chat again uh, uh, down the road. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. There's Matthew Wood from the Victoria Grizzlies out of the BCHL. Or is he with the Yukon Huskies in Hockey East? I guess we'll know in about uh, three weeks' time, maybe even less than that. Man, he's going to have to decide one way or the other. Maybe Yukon just... Uh, Maybe they decide. Maybe it's up to them. I don't know. It sounded like it was up to him, but really undecided. I, and I understand why. I mean, he's he's 17 years old. It's it's tough to go to college that young. That said, and I didn't ask him, but I wonder maybe if the USHL or just a, a different scenario, a different change might be what he was after. But, you know, Victoria is a, a good team, and the BCHL is a good league, but he just led the league in scoring. I just don't know. What's what's more beneficial for him? I don't know. I can't answer that for him. He's going to have to make that choice, and we'll see what he decides ultimately uh, where he's going to play this year. Pretty intriguing player, though, uh, going into the draft this year. Six foot three, closing in on two hundred pounds, and a goal scorer. Says he can play in the middle or on the wing, so a little versatility there. That's good. That's an interesting player, one to keep an eye on for sure over the course of this season. All right, now at the start of the interview, I said this was the last segment for this week's uh, debut of Season 18, uh, but I was wrong. Spoiler alert, what happened is that um, with the World Juniors still going on, I thought, you know, maybe I'll just wait until Monday and uh, have a guest that can come on and sort of recap whatever happens. Because when I recorded at the end of last week, there was only two days left of the tournament, and it just felt like it might be worth just waiting uh, since it's the first episode of the new season whether it comes out on a friday or a saturday doesn't really matter if it comes out on a monday or tuesday so that's what i did so when we come back there is one more segment to go and uh, andrew peard who uh, you know as the voice of the edmonton oil kings well for the last 10 days or two weeks he's been the voice of team canada on tsn's national broadcast of the world junior championship so i called him and he gives a great recap of the tournament from a Team Canada perspective with some thoughts on the other countries as well. We'll do that next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. I'm Trey Fitzwilanski of the Edmonton Oil Kings. At his own blue line, now Fitzwilanski cutting in right circle, dances around his man to his backhand, forehand, he scores! Oh my goodness, Trey Fitzwilanski! What a move, what a shot! What a goal. Oh, mama. And this is the Pipeline Show. What 
Oscar from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundaes all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Woo, that's a bingo. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. It's the uh, final segment uh, for this week's episode, the debut episode of Season 18. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's the best beef jerky you've ever had. It's definitely Alberta's best. Uh, get in touch with them at wilhockbeefjerky.com. A big tournament just wrapping up here in Edmonton as the 2022 World Junior Championship. The reboot is complete now as Canada defeats Finland in a um, a thrilling gold medal uh, game. Went to overtime, ended in fantastic uh, style. And uh, there from start to finish, calling the games for Canada is uh, my good buddy, Andrew Peard, uh, the voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings, now also the national voice of uh, Team Canada at the World Juniors. Uh, Andrew, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Guy. And uh, yeah, a bit of a longer reach than we have with oilkings.ca there with uh, the TSN uh, radio broadcast for for Team Canada. But uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a pretty cool experience. Uh, And similar to when you're uh, broadcasting Oil King games, you have to overcome your color guy. Jason Strudwick, uh, actually, that I imagine was a lot of fun to have him riding shotgun with you for those broadcasts. No, I, I said it for a long time with my broadcast. My color guy always carries me, and Gee, you know that better than anybody. <laughs> but uh, and Strud's Strud's picked up right where where you left off. I thought he was fantastic for a guy who, I mean, he's he's an excellent broadcaster. He had the the, the evening show here at TSN 1260 for a while. Went over to do the the television show with uh, City TV, and now obviously the co-host with Jason Greger in the afternoons on 1260. Um, but not a lot of color experience, but uh, I thought he jumped in and did uh, unbelievable. Obviously, he's a guy that played this game at the mm-hmm. highest level, and, and he was able to, to break things down pretty good. And uh, as you know, Jason Strudwick has uh, as good of a uh, sense of humor as anybody, and he brought that to the broadcast as well. So I think uh, I think we entertained some people as, as best we could. Well, and my understanding is you were kind of telling me this it was kind of last minute that you uh, jumped behind the mic there for Team Canada, but uh, that's got to have been a, a thrill for you, a national audience like that. And maybe just quickly, how did that uh, come together? Yeah, I woke up. It was probably, I don't know, less than a week before the tournament started, maybe just a little bit more. And um, I, I had an email in my inbox from um, uh, Jeff McDonald out with TSN 1050 uh, in Toronto asking if uh, if I'd like to do the play-by-play for the World Juniors as uh, they had a, a job they needed to fill. And um, I, I wasn't sure if somehow you'd found a way to change your email, Guy, and you were uh, <laughs> doing one of your summer pranks on me or not. But uh, obviously when I saw that, um, I, I immediately jumped on it and said, yep, absolutely. Um, you know, as, as anybody, I, I grew up watching the World Juniors and, and to have uh, a small part in it, um, it was an opportunity that I, I couldn't let slip by. So I uh, did it. And um, no, it was it was cool. It was a really cool experience. And obviously, the tournament itself was unique in the fact that it was in August. Um, maybe didn't quite have the same Christmas time feel as, as we're used to with the World Juniors. But uh, as you mentioned, it was a thriller of a gold medal game. And uh, I think 10 years from now, people are going to forget that that game was played in August as we see the replay of Mason McTavish batting that puck out of the air um, time and time again. With uh, a week's notice before the tournament starts, crash course on uh, a lot of these name pronunciations, especially 
with, with some of the Europeans? Holy smokes, was it ever. <laughs> um, it, it was actually nice the way they did it, though. And so, you know, I, I handle the PR and the communications for the Edmonton Oil Kings and always on our roster that we send out to the, the media and our game notes packages. We write the names phonetically for, for people to have the correct pronunciation. But what the IHF does is they send you an audio recording of every team's roster. Now, granted, the person who's reading the names is often from that country, so they have that accent. So mm-hmm. it's a little tough to mimic it at times. But uh, it was a really neat way to pick it up. So, you know, on, on game days, I would just basically for an hour – put it on repeat of uh, the, the Latvians or, or the Finnish names or the Czech names and, and just really kind of get that ingrained in my head. And then when it time came to, to say Alexi Hamel-Selmy's name, it probably took me three or four times before I got it right. But uh, eventually we got it down pat. And uh, no, it was cool. It was, it was neat to see a lot of those players that uh, I probably will never get to see um, you know, except for on television and, and get to see them in, in person and call their games. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. I imagine there are a handful of the Europeans that actually play in the WHL who may have had their name pronounced differently as WHLers compared to what you were told. <laughs> we're we're going to call them this way now at the World Juniors. Yeah, I, I found that out with uh, Max Struhl. That's who we had <laughs> from the Winnipeg Ice during our broadcast this year, but uh, it was Maximilian Strile. Uh, according to the uh, the uh, the Swiss pronunciation of of his name, and then uh, Thomas Tuhanik as well. I I heard it pronounced several different ways, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it sounds like the preferred way is Thomas Tuhanik. And uh, you know, but the one name that that unfortunately it was as we expected was Bogdan's hot ass, who we saw with Latvia. <laughs> so we we were putting that out on national radio, and uh, I remember I showed Strud the the guy's name, and he said, "Well, I'll leave it up to you to say it." So we did. Oh, well, you know, you and I like to lean into that one uh, during uh, the Oil Kings and Medicine at Tigers games, and I saw a lot of people having fun with it on Twitter uh, when uh, when he scored against Canada. So, uh, Andrew Peard, uh, the voice of the regular voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings, and uh, also coming off a uh, World Junior Championship, a gold medal performance uh, from Andrew Peard uh, as the voice of, uh, of Team Canada. <laughs> now, this tournament, uh, I mean, we have to address the elephant in the room. It's August. In Edmonton, mm-hmm. in a t- and I, I kind of tweeted at the start of the the tournament when everybody was uh, down on the attendance. I mean, this tournament's been here, attempted to play this three times now, and uh, I think there's a little fatigue maybe in the in the local market here for for big tournaments for junior hockey. We also had the Stanley Cup in the bubble and all of that. There's been a lot of weird hockey and off season hockey uh, already in this market. And then there's all the other things going on with Hockey Canada and stuff like that. What was the feel uh, around the rink uh, for this tournament from your perspective? Yeah, it was definitely a, a slow build to eventually a, a really good crowd for the gold medal game. But that was probably the best crowd. Well, that was definitely the best crowd that we saw and, and certainly the biggest. The Canadian crowds were okay. They were okay. Um, you, you were probably looking at like the average Edmonton Oil Kings sort of crowd for, for these games. And um, I think for this tournament, uh, had it been played at Christmas time, you'd see those numbers jump up. But you mentioned it, it. It's market fatigue. A lot of these people that were in this rink had been asked three times to pay for World Junior tickets for this tournament. And twice before it had to be refunded because uh, the tournament got canceled or it got bubbled up. Um, so I, I think there was some trepidation there with the market here in Edmonton. And then you mentioned it. Um, it's August in Edmonton. And, and not only that, it's been a hot August. It's It's some of the best weather we've seen all summer long and people don't want to be cooped up uh, in a hockey rink and, and going to five, six, seven uh, junior ho- hockey games. And um, I, I think with that, um, you know, that, that was a big reason why we saw the smaller crowds 
um, for this tournament. And I mean, quite frankly, for when, you know, Switzerland's playing Austria, uh, people don't know any of the players on those yeah. teams. They're not going to fork over the kind of money that was being asked by by Hockey Canada and the the IHF. Although I, I saw the IHF said that they don't have anything to do with the ticket prices, so uh, it's a Hockey Canada issue. But um, I, I I think it was just a, a matter of a number of things coming together, and then of course the scandal with Hockey Canada. I think played a, a bit of a factor in it. I think that was more you were you saw on the, the fact that there was no advertisements on the ice or on the boards. I think that's where where that was greatly impacted. Um, due to the scandal and and rightfully so so um, there was a lot of things going against this tournament but credit to the organizers it wasn't easy to do they jammed it in uh, every team playing at one rink um, that's something they don't do anymore they they mm-hmm. always split it up between two two rinks so credit to the the, the staff here at rogers place and uh, the double ihf for for getting through with it uh, and then obviously it ends up being uh, kind of memorable at the very end so it was uh, um, you know i i think they can at least say for a summertime World Juniors, hopefully the first, hopefully the last, um, that it was a success. Yeah, and I agree with uh, how hot it's been, man. It's uh, it's been a hot August. It's been a Bogdan's hot August. How about that? <laughs> See, you don't get that with Struds. He doesn't do the puns. He's got all the actual no. valuable insight and perspective. <laughs> you just get puns from me. Uh, as uh, chatting with Andrew Peard uh, from the uh, Oil Kings and uh, Team Canada, recapping the World Junior Championship. I, all right, I know you saw a lot of the tournament, obviously all of Canada's games and a bunch of the other uh, teams, but maybe not every game along the way. But um, Canada, clearly the best team in the event. Mason McTavish, 17 points uh, through the event. Uh, you got to saw, see him at the Memorial Cup as well. I thought he looked a lot better in the World Juniors than he did uh, in uh, St. John uh, at the Memorial Cup. Did you see a, a difference in the way he played here for Canada as uh, opposed in comparison to his time with Hamilton, yeah, he was he was the driving force for for Team Canada, and and certainly uh, seemed to have extra jump in his step at the World Juniors than than we saw at the Memorial Cup. It's almost as if you know he played in the the NHL, the American Hockey League over in China for the Olympics, been traded in the <laughs> OHL, and then went on a long playoff run. By the time we saw him, yeah, <laughs> but that's exactly it. I think it was uh, a little bit of fatigue that we saw in Mason McTavish the Memorial Cup. We saw that with the Edmonton Oil Kings. We saw that with the Shawinigan Cataracts. Uh, in that tournament but for him it was interesting um just uh, listening to an interview he did with mark masters how mark had asked him like geez like you're one guy who probably had all the right in the world not to come to this tournament but you're here Mm -hmm. um you know how are you playing right now and and he said well honestly i feel like i've got to step on everybody because it wasn't too long ago i was playing important games everybody else has been sitting around it was easier for me to get into game shape and i think we saw that he was Right from the, the start of the tournament, um, he had a, an extra jump in his step. Um, he was leading the charge offensively. He was leading the charge defensively, as we saw in the final game, with uh, the plays he was making. So um, all in all, he, he wins tournament MVP, and that was a, a no-doubter and, and probably a, a unanimous decision. He was the best player at this tournament, and it wasn't even close. That's a great call on your part, though, to say that you know he had every reason in the world not to, to play again. I mean, he's... He's about to start his NHL career here, and you don't want to risk injury. And unfortunately, I mean, a guy like Rid- Ridley Gregg in that same spot does get hurt, and he's going to miss the next month or so. Hopefully, I'll be back in time for the start of the regular season. But that was definitely something I think a lot of uh, players probably considered and, and a reason uh, many of them didn't come back, not just for Team Canada. Yeah, 100%. Um, we saw it with some American players. Obviously, they're missing their top goaltender um, uh, and and that's probably what got them eliminated from the World Juniors was uh, Caden Embarco, who I thought was was good through the tournament uh, against the Czechs in the quarterfinal. He gives up that tough goal, and, and all of a sudden it's uh, it's curtains for for Team USA. But 
Um, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of players had the opportunity to, to decide not to come. The ones that did, I completely respect that decision to come represent your country. Mm-hmm. For a lot of them, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. For the guys who decided not to come, um, I don't blame them one bit. You, you need to take care um, of your own career, and we know how short a hockey career can be. And if you feel like this will give you the best opportunity to get started uh, professionally, then you absolutely have to, to do what's right for yourself. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for, for fans in, in Canada, I uh, didn't get to see some players uh, at this tournament. But at the same time, um, I, I think this just speaks to what a hockey power Canada is, specifically at the junior level. When you look at their roster, you went, yeah, that's that's a Canadian World Junior roster when you see everyone that was in there. Even Ethan Del Mastro, who was a late add to this team after Damon Hunt went down, um, he came in. Uh, as a guy that was supposed to be the extra defenseman, ends up on a pairing with Lucas Cormier uh, and was a physical force on the back end and was gave Canada a bit of a different look on the back end with some of the, the smooth skating players like Donovan Zabrango, Olin Zellweger, Ronan Seeley, Lucas Cormier. Uh, Ethan Del Mastro came in and, and he was uh, he made an impact on this team. So um, a lot of opportunities came for some players that might not have gotten it. I think of William Dufour, who had uh, a phenomenal year, finishes at a, as a Memorial Cup champion, and now he's a world junior champion as well. So a lot of cool storylines were actually created, I think, from this uh, summer edition of the tournament. McTavish, Canada's best player, but is it fair to say that the Logan Stankoven, Kent Johnson, and Ty uh, Forster line may have been their best line? Yeah, it's, uh, in the in the medal round, absolutely it was. I thought they were a little slow getting off the, off the ground and running at the World Juniors. I, I think when you have a high-skill guy like, like Kent Johnson and, and a guy like Logan Stankoven, it's going to take a little while for those guys to, to mesh. But when they did, um, it was unbelievable to watch. And, and Logan Stankoven really threw the, the quarters, the semis, and, and into the gold medal game. Um, he was the driver of this team offensively from there and, and was able to, to relieve some of the pressure, I think, that was on Mason McTavish as he became a guy that was really keyed upon by the, the opposition. Um, and, and for me, Logan Stankoven, um, he was the, the the lieutenant to uh, to to Mason McTavish being the general of this team offensively, um, and, and he was able to deliver. And that's you know Logan Stankoven in a nutshell, right? This is a guy who's uh, opportunistic in the sense that you you can't give him any room because he'll burn you. And at the same time, you see it on the the golden goal, his ability to create right the toe drag. He leaves the puck behind, still somehow able to recover, find Kent Johnson on the back door, and Johnson banks on the rebound and. Um, that's it uh, for the tournament. And um, yeah, I, I thought that line was, was really good. And Tyson Forster was kind of the forgotten man because he just, you know, he plays in a straight line. He's got a high skill level as well. Uh, and he really complimented those two players quite nicely, I thought. Well, Canada wins the uh, a, the gold medal in a, a thrilling overtime game. Uh, we should ask you about uh, Dylan Grant and his performance. Uh, Sebastian Cosa did get the first game of the of the tournament. Uh, but it was Grand's net after that, and I don't think that was a surprise that he was the the uh, number one guy for Canada. But it was good to see Costa get in. Was it to me? It almost seemed like maybe a, a bit of an apology for what happened at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably, um, and it was good. I, I think Sebastian, uh, the body of work he put forth this past year, and, and the growth that he's shown as a, as a player, uh, he certainly earned the opportunity to at least get into that one game. But at the same time. Uh, Dylan Grand, we knew it going into the winter edition of this tournament. He was the incumbent. He was the backup to Devin Levi uh, in the bubbled up world juniors. Um, and, and you know, Hockey Canada, they kind of have that pecking order. Uh, so Dylan Grand, it was going to be his net no matter what, uh, unless he uh, ended up um, giving the coaching staff a reason not to put him back in there. And he never did. Mm-hmm. He was solid. And that's, that's Dylan Grand for you. Uh, he makes the, the tough saves look easy. 
Uh, he's able to quiet things down when the team would get running uh, around inside their own zone. Um, and, and just all in all, a very professional tournament from Dylan Grant. Um, he's the guy, his poise, it's, it's unbelievable. You have to keep reminding yourself. I mean, he just turned 20 years old. This is uh, still a young goaltender with, with some room to grow. But at the same time, the mental game, it's there for Dylan Grant. Um, you know, even it, he gave up a, a bad goal to the Swiss. And then in the third period, uh, he was able to, to just find his game once again. Um, and, and that's something you don't see from a lot of young goaltenders, specifically at the World Juniors. Sometimes, you know, you give up the one bad goal and things can mount on you. And, and all of a sudden, uh, you find yourself sitting on the bench. But Dylan Grant was able to quiet out the noise uh, and make the next save, which was uh, always the most important one. And uh, I thought a real good tournament from him. Now, we've gone 15 minutes and we haven't even mentioned Connor Bedard. And I I think everybody expected much more from him. I think that's fair to say. He did have eight points in seven games, which on paper is great. But it seems underwhelming for him and a guy of his caliber. What went wrong? <laughs> nothing. Nothing went wrong. He's 16 years old. He just turned 17, for goodness sake. He had a, he had a phenomenal tournament. Four goals, eight points. Um, you know, he was playing on a line with Mason McTavish. But, you know, he was a guy that, that everyone put their top pairing of, of defense against. They put their best defensive forwards against, and they wanted to slow him down. They didn't want to give him room. And um, I, I thought the, the opposition teams did a great job of that. Now, the one thing I did find interesting was on the Canadian power play, he was playing in the middle of the ice and at times sort of the net front presence, which I, I don't know that a five foot eight, five foot nine, um, elite level shooter should be playing in that situation. But far be it for me to, to second guess Dave Cameron and, and his decisions because it all worked out in the end and their power play was actually really good, except for the gold medal game. But uh, yeah, Connor Bedard, he got off to a really good start in the tournament and then uh, things got a little bit quiet for him. There was some defensive zone lapses, and I, I think that's what probably got him moved off the Mason McTavish line because simply I, I, I think maybe the, the trust factor in the D zone wasn't quite there from the coaching staff, nor should it be. I mean, you, you can't expect that out of a 16-year-old um, at this tournament to be your best 200-foot player as well as your, your top goal scorer, hopefully. So I think it was a really good learning experience for Connor Bedard. Make no mistake, this kid is elite. This kid will be the first overall pick at the 2023 NHL draft, and I guarantee you, he is going to have an unbelievable tournament in Halifax and Moncton this Christmas uh, at the upcoming World Juniors. Um, he might end up leading the team in scoring. Um, I, I think this was a real good experience for him. I think it was a lot of things he needed to go through, uh, and he's only going to grow from it. The Regina Pats are only going to benefit from probably getting a better, even better Connor Bedard than he already was uh, come the start of, of this regular season in September. So um, I, I, I don't think you can look at it and say, uh, there was anything wrong with Connor Bedard's tournament, um, you know, for, for being a, an underage guy in a tournament built for 18 and 19 year olds. Uh, I think he held his own just fine. Fair enough. Uh, before I let you go, I got to ask you about some of the other teams uh, that were at the event. Uh, when you think of the other clubs of the other nations that were represented and the players on those rosters, uh, who are some of the guys that stood out for you in a good way? Well, the Finns, they, they had a lot of guys, um, you know, on defense. Um, I, I thought Topi Nimola, uh, he was unbelievable for them. He was, uh, I, I guess I would describe him, and, and it's no disrespect because this kid was also unbelievable for Canada. I would say he was sort of like a poor man's Olin Zellweger mm. at this tournament, the way he was able to, to scoot around the ice and, and create offensively uh, and be, be sound defensively as well. Casper Pudio, um, who we saw in the Western Hockey League um, a couple of years ago with, with Swift Current and, and then on to, to the Everett Silvertips, I thought he had a really good tournament. And that Atu Ratu, for Finland, man, he's dangerous. When he's got that puck on his stick, 
it, it feels maybe it's because he wears number 34, but you kind of feel like it's Austin Matthews out there and just searching for an opportunity to get away that, that big shot that, that he possessed. Um, but all in all, I, I thought the Finns, uh, their, their top six forwards, their top four D, that was as close to matching Team Canada uh, at this tournament. You know, they had Joachim Kemmel, the, the high pick of the, the National Predators, end up leading them in scoring with, with his 12 points, had the big tying goal for them uh, in the gold medal game. I thought he was really good. Um, the, the Toronto Maple Leaf prospect, Ronnie Hirvonen, he capped in the Finnish team, uh, a real 200-foot player, uh, I thought, from him. So, um, yeah, I, I thought the Finns had uh, a lot of good things going and sort of the darlings of the tournament, apart from the Latvians, who got that big first-ever preliminary round win and, and found themselves uh, into the, the playoffs with the World Juniors, uh, I thought the Czechs, um, obviously they, they had the upset of the tournament over the Americans, but this was a really good Czech team, Guy. Like, I, and 19 of them can come back uh, this Christmas time, wow! Like this is going to be a this is going to be a really good team uh, at Christmas time, and, and they were led uh, certainly offensively by by Jan Mishak, who we saw at the the Memorial Cup as well with the Hamilton Bulldogs. He scored some big goals uh, for the Czechs all throughout. He was dangerous every time he was on the ice. But the guy that really stood out uh, to me was Yuri Kulik, who lit the U18s on fire. What was it? Nine goals in seven games there, and mm-hmm. thought, okay, he'll he'll come to this World Juniors, and and you know probably. You know, get a couple of goals, maybe a couple of assists, but uh, ends the tournament with a, a point per game. Um, and, and at his age, um, he was he was a pretty special player to watch for the Czechs and a guy that everyone should be keeping their eye on certainly uh, this this Christmas time. Uh, before I let you go, there was another guy that uh, represented or will represent the Oil Kings. He was playing for Germany though. Uh, Luca Hauf only got into two games, but did he show you anything that uh, we can uh, put in the memory banks for this coming season? I think he's smart. I think he's a smart player. It's hard to tell. He didn't get a lot of ice time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luca, though, I, I, credit to him. He was the youngest player on this German team. I, I think he was more or less brought over here uh, as a way to get experience for, for the upcoming World Juniors because, uh, you know, the, the Germans will move on a, a lot of players from, from this tournament. But, no, he was, it, was, it was good to see him at least and sort of get a feel for him. They, they had him on the wing. I think he can play a little bit of center as well. But, uh, you know, for the five minutes a, a night that he got in his two games, I, I thought he was positionally sound. Uh, he was hunting pucks as best he could. And, um, no, I, I, I really um, I, I thought for the limited time we got to see him, I, I thought he showed well for the Germans and uh, look forward to seeing him in an Oil King uniform this year uh, and a well, as well at uh, the next coming World Juniors with, with Team Germany. And lastly, uh, an Oil King trade uh, right before the World Junior starts. Jalen Leipin uh, shipped off to the Tri-City Americans uh, for a couple of players. Uh, that's obviously uh, maybe a, a sign of things to come this season as the Oil Kings, uh, with their run they've had the last uh, three or four seasons, you know, it eventually turns the other way. Um, thoughts on Jalen Lipen uh, going to Tri-City and just uh, what Oil King fans should expect this year? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a good deal for both teams and um, Tri-Cities. I, I guess they feel they can make a run for it in the, the U.S. division and uh, no better way to, to help that cause with, with acquiring a guy like Jalen Lightman, who you and I have watched for four years uh, with the Edmonton Oil Kings, a guy who probably wasn't supposed to play in the Western Hockey League. He was a ninth-round pick, for goodness sakes. And then, well, he certainly wasn't supposed to be drafted in the National Hockey League, but Jalen Lightman said, well, I'll find a way, and he was. And then he signs his entry-level contract, too. So he's going to be a professional hockey player, and uh, he's a guy that I've really enjoyed getting to cover and getting to know during his time. Uh, with the Edmonton Oil Kings and, and just the way um, he plays with a chip on his shoulder, how he's always trying to get better, how he started as a fourth line energy guy to a, a guy that's first over the boards on the penalty kill to all of a sudden he's an option on your power play and he's a guy that can create offense. So that's 
That's my thoughts on Jalen Lightman. He's a heck of a hockey player. The Tri-City Americans are getting a really good one in him, and he's a guy that can certainly be a leader on that team. And for the Edmonton Oil Kings, like you mentioned, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a team that goes into, a, I don't want to say a rebuild, maybe a, a reload, um, and it's going to take some young guys. And, and I like the, the, the first move you get, uh, Rhett Melnick, second-round pick formerly in the WHL. He's a, a local kid from Fort Saskatchewan, and I think there's some, some offense in there that, can be untapped here in Edmonton. He's probably going to get uh, a bit more of an opportunity with this Oil King team. So uh, that's a nice piece. And, and quite frankly, the Oil Kings needed some veteran defense help. Mm-hmm. They're losing a lot of their back end this year. And so you bring in Bryson Andrag and um, he's going to help out. He's a guy that's, that's played parts of two years in the WHL, uh, big body guy. Um, I, I think he can facilitate the puck uh, just fine. So um, uh, it was a, a necessary move for the Edmonton Oil Kings, and they get the second-round draft pick as well from the Tri-City Americans, and, and they'll, they'll need to start recouping picks here as best they can. They gave up a lot to bring in guys like Luke Prokop, Caden Gooley, and Justin Sordiff, and, and no surprise here, Kurt's not wasting any time. Kurt Hill, that is the GM of the Oil Kings, um, going out and, and finding ways to, to, to uh, accumulate picks, and uh, we'll probably see that throughout this year, but, but don't think this is a team that's going to put up the white flag. Uh, Luke Pierce is now behind the bench, um, he is the, the perfect incumbent from Brad Lauer. He's a guy that's very detailed in his approach. He's very prepared, and he's a hard worker, and this team will likely take on that identity, uh, and, and they're going to give every team that they play throughout the course of this year uh, a tough night each and every night, and uh, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing sort of a, a new-look Oil King team this year. Should be an interesting camp, which starts uh, Labor Day weekend, right? So uh, we've got that right around the corner. Enjoy the rest of, uh, I guess, the next eight days of summer. Uh, Andrew, before uh, we're back in the rink again. Feels like we were just here a few months ago, Guy. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Good job with the uh, with the call for Canada. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Anytime. That's Andrew Peard, the uh, voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings. And uh, for the last two weeks, he's been the voice of Team Canada on TSN's national radio broadcast. Uh, so uh, from coast to coast in Canada, you got to hear Andrew Peard in action calling a gold medal uh, championship victory uh, for Team Canada. And I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't see as nearly as much of the tournament as I normally would. I Certainly when it's in Edmonton, I would have uh, liked to have been there. But uh, as I mentioned in the opening segment, I uh, got COVID, kept me away. And even once I was, uh, you know, I was probably able to go the last four or five days. It just felt a little weird to just show up at the end. So uh, I didn't. And... Uh, Watched some of it, but not nearly as much as I normally would. And uh, I think it's just summer. Summer hockey, for me, uh, not great. And even when the Holinka Gretzky Cup was here back in uh, 2018, the attendance was terrible then. I think it's going to be a challenge uh, moving forward with that tournament. Uh, with Not to, not the World Junior at, at Christmas time. That's always going to be a hit, I think, wherever it is in Canada. It's been now in Edmonton for the last three years. I don't expect it's going to be back in this city maybe in 20 years, but uh, for the next little while, I, I think there's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be back out east at uh, Christmas time this year in Halifax and Moncton, then it's going to be uh, overseas and in the States again, and probably three or four, maybe even five times in Canada before Edmonton's even on the radar. I would have to think maybe you see, uh, you know, Kamloops and Kelowna or together or something like that. Brandon and Winnipeg, Saskatoon and Regina. Can see all of that before it's uh, back in Edmonton again. Now the Holinka Gretzky Cup that's supposed to still be coming every second year, so we'll see what happens. Uh, whether attendance will grow for that tournament, you know, I wasn't down in Red Deer, but uh, I'd heard that the attendance was okay, or at least what was expected. 
Um, so we'll see moving forward. Anyway, your thoughts on the World Junior Championship, uh, you can always hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Now, this uh, first episode of Season 18 is a little bit slow getting out because I uh, delayed to get Andrew on at the start of uh, the week here so that he could recap uh, the World Junior Championship. So now that that's done, we can put a bow on the season premiere of Season 18. Thanks to all four guests that you heard from uh, today. And thanks to everyone who signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Because of this sort of staggered start here, the first three segments, they've been available to patrons for like five days already before the show is uh, released as a, as a complete package. Go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show if you'd like to sign up to get early access as well. Already getting requests for the team-by-team WHL uh, season previews, which won't start this week, but, boy, it's going to have to start really, really soon. So if not next week, then definitely the week after. And I think I'm going with uh, the GM slash coaches this year, so either a GM or a coach uh, from each of the 22 teams in the Western Hockey League. Might be a GM, might be a head coach, might be an assistant coach. We'll see who's available as it is still summer. And uh, quite honestly, sometimes... Not everybody is the best guest, so we'll we'll, uh, we'll leave it open. And, uh, you know, one team's GM will be better than their coach, so we'll go that way. Another team might be the coach who's a really good interview. We'll go with that. Might be an assistant coach. Uh, so we'll see how it all plays out this year, but looking forward to getting that done. John Keane already asking me for that. Says he's uh, out walking the dog and likes those segments because they're a uh, perfect length for a, a dog walk and uh, helps him get set up for the season as well. So... By request, we'll get to the WHL team-by-team previews uh, before too long. But until the next episode of the Pipeline Show, get out and enjoy what's left of summer so that uh, when we come back, we can start talking hockey again right here on the Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. My name's Keith Flaming. See ya. See ya.